Welcome to Vision Drip, a podcast designed to give you a steady drip of our vision, mission, and DNA to establish and refine the gospel culture at Sacred City Church. I'm your host, Pastor Sam Schmidt, church planter and pastor of Sacred City Church in Moline, Illinois. I am so excited to have you with me as I hope this podcast helps to equip you as a disciple of Jesus in the everyday rhythms of life as we set out to make disciples, plant churches, and renew the city. Not only do I hope that this podcast helps you grow, but it would grow your affections for Jesus. So let's dive into this episode of Sacred City Vision Drill. Everybody, welcome into this episode of Sacred City Vision Trip. I just got back, was out of town today, uh, visiting with some Acts 29 pastors, uh, and a very encouraging time. Not only do are we coming off of Holy Week here at Sacred City Moline, where we had a great weekend, uh, our reading team, our band, uh, all, all of the tech and kids ministry volunteers, everybody who had a part to play in this past weekend really came through. Uh, and we did a great job of putting the spotlight on Jesus, him going to the cross on our on, on our behalf for our sin. And then on Resurrection Sunday, being raised uh, from the dead in, in the power of God. And so we we did a good job celebrating. It was is the biggest Sunday to date that we've ever had as far as um, Sunday attendance, which isn't everything, but it is awesome to see uh, people that we've been on mission to, people that we've invite been inviting, um, accept those invitations and step into our space and and get a feel for um, what God is doing here and hear about the good news of Jesus Christ. And so I'm I'm grateful for that. But not only that, uh, but to come back from that time with the Acts 29 brothers and uh, and hear everything that God was doing um, it through, well, it's mostly Iowa, but uh, within like a, uh, a two and a half hour radius from Des Moines all the way over to uh, Moline up to Clinton um, and, and just celebrate uh, the good gospel work, the good gospel ministry that's going on and the proclamation of the gospel. And so I'm just excited about that you know, floating um, from this past weekend and, and everything that God is doing, um, not just here in the Quad Cities, but beyond. And um, with that, I, I'm, I'm sort of recuperating from a busy week, and, and to do that, to refresh my soul, I usually dive headlong into a book, first the scriptures, uh, and then I pick up a book. And I've been working my way through this book uh, titled Deeper by Dane Ortland, who's a pastor in the Chicagoland area, um, who, uh, you, you, his name might say, sound familiar because he wrote the book um, Gentle and Lonely, which was a, a huge hit um, over the last couple of years. And uh, this book is about sanctification. Basically, it's like the second, you know, it's Jensen and Lulu is about experiencing the grace of Jesus in a profound and life-changing way. Um, and then this book, Deeper, is about going deeper into the, the heart of Jesus and walking out um, our justification, walking out um, our identity of Christ, and growing in our sanctification. And uh, if you've been around, you know that we've dubbed this year Feast to Flourish. That's our motto for this year, not just this year, but really that's that's going to set the tone, um, and it really has been uh, our heart at, at Sacred City, but now it's it's very much explicit that we are people of the book. We, we love the Word of God. We want to feast on the Word of God. God. 
um, because that's what our souls need. That's what we need to feast on in order to have any kind of impact um, in this world. And um, I came again, uh, across this chapter uh, that I want to share with you today. I'm taking the lazy route. Um, instead of coming up with content or just riffing off of somebody else's ideas, I'm just going to read you a chapter, if that's all right. Uh, and, and it's because I think that it's it's such a great chapter. It's a great piece of writing. Um, and it really hits the, uh, the nail on the head here of what we're talking about, Feast to Flourish. Uh, and so if you want to hang out with me here... Um, I'm going to read to you uh, the chapter eight titled Breathing. Now, you can, I don't know, this might be against the law. I'm not sure if I can actually just read. There's probably some copyright rules, but I'm going to do it anyway and pray for forgiveness if that were the case. I'm going to plead uh, ignorance. Um, This is chapter eight from the book Breathing by Dane, uh, chapter eight in the book Deeper. The title uh, is called Breathing um, by, by Dane Ortland. And buckle up, here we go. All of the chapters of this book, till now, have reflected on overarching themes. Realities such as union with Christ, or the embrace of Christ, or acquittal before God through the wonder of justification. These are timeless truths we spend a lifetime believing and absorbing into our hearts. But how, practically, day by day, do we do that? What are the actual tools by which that belief and heart absorption take place? This chapter answers the question. In truth, there are many valid answers to the question. The importance of regularly partaking of the sacraments of the church and being part of Christian fellowship through the local church and cultivating deep friendships and so on. But I want to consider just two ordinary, predictable, wondrous, vital practices, Bible reading and prayer. And the way to think about these two practices is by the metaphor of breathing, Reading the Bible is inhaling, praying is exhaling, our greatest earthly treasure. What is the Bible? It is your greatest earthly treasure. You will stand in strength and grow in Christ and walk in joy and bless this world no further than you know this book. Here's the introduction to the Bibles published by the Gideons. The Bible contains the mind of God, the state of man the way of salvation, the doom of sinners, and the happiness of believers. Its doctrines are holy, its precepts are binding, its histories are true, and its decisions are immutable. Read it to be wise, believe it to be safe, and practice it to be holy. It contains light to direct you, food to support you, and comfort to cheer you. It is the traveler's map, the pilgrim's staff, the pilot's compass, the soldier's sword, and the Christian's charter. Here, paradise is restored. Heaven opened and the gates of hell disclosed. Christ is the grand subject, our good its design, and the glory of God its end. It should fill the memory, rule the heart, and guide the feet. Read it slowly, frequently, and prayerfully. It is a mine of wealth, a paradise of glory, and a river of pleasure. It is given you in life, will be opened at the judgment, and be remembered forever. It involves the highest responsibility, rewards the greatest labor, and will condemn all who trifle with its sacred contents. I wrote this in full because these reverent words bring us to an unavoidably face-to-face with the sacred preciousness of the Bible. Who can read this and not want to give his or her whole life to being a student of the Bible? Scripture is not an ancillary benefit for a life otherwise well-ordered, in need of a little extra boost. 
Scripture is shaping and fueling and oxygenating. It is vital. Jesus prayed, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth, John 17, 17. Deeper is a book on sanctification. And Jesus said, we need the word of God, which is truth for that to happen. Reconstructing. How so? Fallen human beings enter this world wrong. We do not look at ourselves correctly. We do not view God correctly. We do not understand the way to be truly happy. We are ignorant of where all human history is headed, and we do not have the wisdom that makes life work well. And so on. The Christian life, our growth in Christ, is nothing other than the lifelong deconstruction of what we naturally think and assume and the reconstruction through the truth of the Bible. Picture a building that has been erected by untrained construction workers and thus is a complete disaster. Floors on level, windows the wrong size, paint colors that clash, roof shingles missing, and even the foundation off kilter. That is us. And the Bible is the all-in-one, universal, industrial strength tool by which the divine architect puts us back together the way we were meant to be. We tend to think we are put on this earth to make a name for ourselves. The Bible dismantles that notion and replaces it with the knowledge that we are put here to spread God's reputation and honor. We tend to think God will accept us if we meet a minimum bar of personal goodness. The Bible dismantles that and insists that God accepts us when we lay down the attempt to offer God anything of our own and instead receive his favor based on the work of his own son. We tend to think we're not worth much and are insignificant in the big scheme of things. The Bible dismantles that and tells us we are made in God's own image with inherent dignity that we were made to rule the cosmos in eternal glory. We tend to think of the things of this world such as food, sex, and long vacations satisfy our soul. The Bible dismantles that and teaches us that the gifts can never quench our soul's thirst. Only the giver can do that. And so on. The Bible re-educates us. The Bible makes sages out of the fools. It corrects us. Oxygen. But we need to press deeper. The Bible not only corrects us, it also oxygenates us. We need a Bible not only because we're wrong in our minds, but also because we're empty in our souls. This is why I like the metaphor of breathing. Take a big breath into our lungs, fills us with fresh air, gives us oxygen, calms us down, provides focus, and brings mental clarity. What inhaling does for us physically, Bible reading does for us spiritually. In this shifty, uncertain world, God has given us actual words, concrete, unmoving, fixed words. We can go to the rock of Scripture amid the shifting sands of this life. Your Bible is going to have the same words tomorrow that it does today. Friends can't provide that. They will move in and out of your life, loyal today but absent tomorrow. Parents and their counsel will die. Your pastor will not always be available to take your call. The counselor who has given you such sage instruction will one day retire, or maybe you'll move out of state. But you can roll out of bed tomorrow morning and whatever stressors slide uncomfortably across your mental horizon as you groan with the anxieties of the day, your friend, the Bible, is unfailingly steady. 
it lies there, awaiting opening, eager to steady you amid all the unanswered questions before you that day. It will give you what you need and not evade you. Our truest wisdom and only safety is to build our lives on its words. Matthew 7, 24 through 27. In fact, we should not be saying it, but he. Through scripture, God himself addresses us. The reason the Bible does not shift and move is that God does not shift and move. Your Bible is not just the best book there is among all the books out there. The Bible is a different kind of book. It's of another class. It's similar to other books in that it's bound between two covers and filled with small black letters comprising words throughout. But the Bible is different from other books in the way rainfall is different from your garden hose. It comes from above and provides a kind of nourishment far beyond what our own resources can provide. Why? Because the Bible's author is God, and God knows exactly what will nourish us. Yes, human authors wrote the actual books of the Bible, but they, quote, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, 2 Peter 1.21. Did God or humans write the Bible? Both. In that order. God told Jeremiah, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth, Jeremiah 1.9. That's precisely the way to understand Scripture. God put his words in human mouths. The words are truly God's, but he gave them through the distinct personalities and word banks of human authors. This is why the simple elegance of John can differ markedly from the terse earthiness of Mark or the flowery, lengthy sentences of Paul, while all three are truly and fully speaking God's own words. And because the Bible was written in other languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek, we will be maximally nourished by Scripture to the degree that we are reading a translation of the Bible that shows what the original wording, with maximal transparency, but with readability and dignified English, is. The English Standard Version, in my opinion, is the single best translation available today to that end, and any Christian who will take the time to learn something of the original language will profit tenfold from whatever energy is expended. The health of the church depends on the knowledge of the original languages, and pastors and church leaders should call their people, any who are so inclined, to learn the languages alongside them. A book of good news. Many of us approach the Bible not as oxygenating, however, but as suffocating. We see the Bible lying there on the end table. We know we should open it. Sometimes we do, but is usually with a sense of begrudged duty. Life is demanding enough, we think. Do I really need more demands? Do I have to hear even more instruction telling me how to live? That's an understandable feeling, but it is lamentably wrong. And it brings me to the central thing I want to say about the Bible as we continue to think about how real sinners get traction for real change in their lives. The Bible is good news, not a pep talk. News. What is news? It is reporting on something that has happened. The Bible is like the front page of a newspaper, not the advice column. To be sure, 
The Bible also has plenty of instruction, but the exhortations and commands of Scripture flow out of the Bible's central message, like ribs flowing out of the spine or sparks from a fire or rules of the house for kids. Paul said that the Old Testament was written so that through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope, Romans 15.4. He said, the sacred writings are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, 2 Timothy 3.15. The Bible is help, not oppression. It is given to buoy us along in life, not drag us down. Our own dark thoughts of God are what cause us to shrink back from opening and yielding to it. When we yawn over the Bible... It is like a severe asthmatic yawning over the free offer of a ventilator while gasping for air. Read the Bible asking not mainly whom to imitate and how to live, but what it shows us about God, about a God who loves to save, about sinners who need saving. In other words, the earlier chapters of this book outlining Jesus and union with Christ and justification and the love of God, each of these chapters is itself one way into the central message of the Bible. Perhaps it seems obvious that the Bible is good news. How else would we read it? But here are nine common ways, wrong, wrong ways to read the Bible. Number one, the warm fuzzies approach. Reading the Bible for a glowing subjective experience of God, ignited by the words of the text, whether we understand what they actually mean or not. Result? Frothy reading. Number two, the grumpy approach. Reading the Bible out of nothing but a vague sense of what we're supposed to do to get God off our backs for the day. Result? Resentful reading. Number three, the goldmine approach. Reading the Bible as a vast, cavernous, dark mine in which one occasionally stumbles upon a nugget of inspiration. Result? Confused reading. Number four, the hero approach. Reading the Bible as a moral hall of fame that gives us one example after another of heroic spiritual giants to emulate. Result? Despairing reading. Number five, the rules approach. Reading the Bible on the lookout for commands to obey to subtly reinforce a sense of personal superiority. Result? Pharisaical reading. Number six, the Indiana Jones approach. Reading the Bible as an ancient document about events in the Middle East a few thousand years ago that are irrelevant to my life today. Result? Bored reading. Number seven, the magic eight ball approach. Reading the Bible as a roadmap to tell me where to work, whom to marry, and what car to buy. Result? Anxious reading. Number eight, the Aesop's Fables approach. Reading the Bible as a loose collection of nice stories strung together independently with a nice moral at end. Result? Disconnected reading. Number nine, the Doctrine approach. Reading the Bible as a theological repository to plunder for ammunition for our next theology debate at Starbucks. Result? Cold reading. There is some truth to each of these approaches, but to make any of them the dominant lens through which to read the scriptures is to turn the Bible into a book it was never intended to be. The right way to read the Bible is the gospel approach. This means we read every passage as somehow contributing to the single overarching storyline of scripture, which culminates in Jesus. Just as you wouldn't parachute in the middle of a novel, 
read a paragraph out of context and expect to understand all that it means, you cannot expect to understand all that a passage of Scripture means without plotting it in the big arc of the Bible's narrative. And the main story of the Bible is that God sent his son Jesus to do what Adam and Israel and we ourselves have failed to do, honor God and obey him fully. Every word in the Bible contributes to that message. Jesus himself said so. In a theology debate with the religious elite of the day, Jesus told those who claimed to be faithful to Moses and thus opposed Christ, If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. John 5, 46. Jesus told his disciples, Everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, shorthand for the entire Old Testament, must be fulfilled. Luke 24, 44. The Bible is good news. It must be read as gospel. And the result of this approach is transforming reading. We grow. As Luther said, he who would correctly and profitably read scripture should see to it that he finds Christ in it, and then he finds eternal life without fail. On the other hand, if I do not study and understand Moses and the prophets as to find that Christ came from heaven, for the sake of my salvation, became man, suffered, died, was buried, rose, and ascended into heaven, so that through him I enjoy reconciliation with God, forgiveness of all my sins, grace, righteousness, and life eternal, then my reading in Scripture is of no help whatsoever to my salvation. I may, of course, become a learned man by reading and studying Scripture and preach what I have acquired, Yet all this would do me no good, whatever. The defining habit. As you seek to grow in Christ by becoming a deeper human, accept and embrace the truth that you will go deeper with Christ no further than you go into Scripture. To read Scripture is to read of Christ. To read of it is to hear His voice. And to hear his voice of comfort and counsel is to hear an invitation to become the human being God has destined you to be. So build Bible reading into your life in the very same way you build breakfast into your life. After all, we humans are habit-forming creatures. Our morning coffee, our evening dessert, the way we care for our vehicles, our methods for decompressing such as jogging or movies or bird watching. And all our habits reflect an acquired taste over a long period of time, resulting in daily rituals without which we do not feel we have lived a normal day. And I want to say, make the Bible your central daily ritual. Make it your habit without which you have not lived a normal day. By no means allow this to become a law towering over you and condemning you, God's favor does not take a hit when you fail to read the Bible some days. But consider yourself undernourished if skipping that spiritual meal becomes normal. Fight to stay healthy. Stay hooked up to the IV of gospel and help and counsel and promise by reading the Bible each day. Draw life and strength from the scriptures. To switch back to our original metaphor, take your asthmatic soul in one hand and the oxygen tank of the Bible in your other hand and bring the two together. Reading the Bible is inhaling, exhaling, and praying is exhaling. Breathe in, breathe out. We take in the life-giving words of God and we breathe them back out to God in prayer. 
the reason I want to include both scripture and prayer in a single chapter in this book on growing in Christ is to underscore how interrelated and mutually dependent they are. We can easily think of these two disciplines as independent activities. We read the Bible and we pray, but the most effective way to pray is to turn your Bible reading into prayer. And the best way to read the Bible is prayerfully. How does prayer fit into this book? This is a book on growing in Christ. And my resounding theme is that the Christian life is at the heart of the matter, not of doing more or behaving better, but of going deeper. And the primary emphasis I have wanted to give is that we grow specifically by growing deeper into the gospel, into the love of Christ, and our experienced union with him. As we now think about prayer, here is what we are doing. We are reflecting on the way our soul must go out to God in Christ to desire, to long for, to receive, to dwell in, to thank him for his endless love. The gospel comes to us in the scriptures, and in prayer, we receive and enjoy it. Put differently, to connect prayer with scripture reading is simply to acknowledge that God is a real person with whom believers have an actual moment-by-moment relationship. The Bible is God speaking to us, prayer is our speaking to him. If we do not pray, we do not believe God is an actual person. We may say we do, but we do not really. If we do not pray, we actually think he is an impersonal force of some kind, a kind of platonic idea, distant and removed, powerful but abstract. We don't view him as a father. Children speaking to dad. I have never had to tell my kids to try to start speaking. Just as naturally as they began breathing when they were born, they began trying to speak when they were several months old. The impulse to speak was wired into them. Likewise, children of God naturally find within themselves the impulse to speak directly to their Heavenly Father. Romans and Galatians tells us of the babbling urge to speak to our Father that comes when we are indwelt by the Spirit. We cry out, Abba, Father. Romans 8.15, Galatians 4.6. This is a cry of intimacy, of dependence, the cry of a child. We often do not know exactly what or how to pray. Jesus gave us the Lord's Prayer as one way to help. But another help is simply the spirit bubbling up within, joined to a mind stored with scripture, taking us up into heavens with gurglings of an infant. Jesus told us what to pray. But when we do not know what to pray, the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, Romans 8.26. We have been united to Christ by the spirit, and God therefore lives within us. When we can't pray, in a sense, God prays for us. The Spirit himself intercedes for us. And so we move through our day praying. The Bible says, pray without ceasing, 1 Thessalonians 5.17. That may sound impossibly out of reach. How am I to eat, sleep, and talk with my friends if I'm supposed to be praying all of the time? But that's not the point of this text. The point is simply to move through your life praying rather than only sectioning off a few minutes in the morning or evening for prayer. To be sure, planned times of focused prayer are indispensable. But if that is all we ever do, if our only prayer all day long is a segmented couple of minutes praying through a list of items, we do not know him as Father. We have not drunk down the realities reflected on earlier in this book, who Jesus Christ most deeply is, and our vital union with him, and so on. What would you say to a 10-year-old daughter who never spoke to her dad, never asked him for anything, never thanked him, never expressed love to him despite his many expressions of love to her? 
you would conclude that she believed that she had a father only in theory, not in actuality. You could only conclude that her father's love was not real to her. Move through your day praying. Let God be your moment-by-moment father. Hear his voice in Scripture in the morning and turn to that Scripture into prayer. And then let that time with him, that back-and-forth communion, send you off into your day communion, communing with him all day long. The Bible's prayer book. As we think about prayer in the Christian life, we need to pause and reflect on one book of the Bible that is itself a series of prayers, the book of Psalms. I have said that the Bible is God speaking to us, but the Psalms are the one book in the Bible addressed to God. In it, God takes us by the hand and gives us words to speak back to Him. The Psalms are prayers. So I propose to you, as you grow in Christ, that you form the vital habit of making the book of Psalms your lifelong companion. Befriend the Psalms deeply. Never go too long without making them your own prayers. They give voice, sacred voice, to every circumstance, every emotion, every, every distress we walk through in this fallen wilderness of a world. More precisely, the Psalms train our hearts in a gospel direction. They bring us to the great, glorious, basic truths we love and confess, most centrally, the cross of Christ, which forgives us and is our own pattern for life. John Calvin wrote, Although the Psalms are replete with all the precepts which serve to frame our life to every part of holiness, piety, and righteousness, yet they will principally teach and train us to bear the cross. And the bearing of the cross is a genuine proof of our obedience. Since by doing this, we renounce the guidance of our own affections and submit ourselves entirely to God, leaving him to govern us and to dispose of our life according to his will, so that the afflictions which are bitterest and most severe to our nature become sweet to us because they proceed from him. In one word, not only will we find here general commendations of the goodness of God, which may teach people to respose themselves in him alone, but we also find that the free remission of sins, which alone reconciles God toward us and procures for us settled peace with him is so set forth and magnified as that here there is nothing wanting which relates to the knowledge of eternal salvation. As you read the Psalms, unhurriedly, meditatively, allowing them to give voice to your own heart's distresses, you will find yourself thinking, these poets know me. In fact, they know me better than I know myself. They see my sin more clearly than I do, and they see the surprising abundance of God's redemption more clearly than I do. In short, they take me deeper and thus foster my growth in Christ. Inhale, exhale. In May 2020, the Wall Street Journal ran a piece by James Nestor entitled The Healing Power of Proper Breathing. The caption under the headline read, How We Inhale and Exhale Has a Profound Effects on Our Health. That is all I want to say in this chapter, spiritually speaking. You wouldn't try to go through life holding your breath, so don't go through your life without Bible reading and praying. Let your soul breathe, oxygenate with the Bible, and breathe out the CO2 of prayer as you speak back to God your wonder, your worry, and your waiting. He is not a force, not an ideal, not a machine. He is a person. Keep open the channel between your little life and heaven itself through Bible and prayer. As you do, 
you will grow. You won't feel it day to day, but you'll come to the end of your life a radiant, solid man or woman, and you will have left in your wake the aroma of heaven. You will have blessed the world. Your life will have mattered. You can get a copy of Deeper by Dane Ortland on Amazon or your favorite bookstore. I highly recommend it. Uh, I hope you enjoyed that, that um, passage that I shared with you um, and see just the importance that, that this is to feast to flourish. The Bible is essential. It's like breathing. And I hate the idea of going a day without breathing, how suffocating that is. Um, that's, that's the attitude. That's the thought that we should have um, going through our day. So uh, let us continue to give ourselves to feast to flourishing. Get in your Bibles. Get in your Bible reading plans. Meditate on it. Read the Bible for growth. Do all that stuff and read the Bible to meet with Jesus. Hope you guys have a great rest of your week. We will see you on Sunday. <laughs>